Welcome to the Psychology of Case Management podcast, the show that helps you use psychological ideas to strengthen your relationship with your catastrophically injured clients and their professional network, so you can achieve more for your clients and feel more fulfilled in your role. Hello and welcome to today's episode. I'm Dr. Shabnam Berry Khan. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about supervision, thinking about what it is, why it's important, and unpicking it as to understand a bit more about kind of what makes good supervision effectively. The way I think about it with my psychology and case management hat on is that people help us uh, achieve the things we need to achieve for our personal injury clients. And, um, and it's not uncommon to hear people say that people are the most valuable resource that we have. And I really think that has never been more true in the health and care profession, and particularly in the litigation context that our clients um, and we as professionals find ourselves in. You know, we know that um, care is a massive component of our um, clients' rehabilitation packages. And we know that it can be notoriously difficult to think about recruitment, um, staff retention, to think about the well-being of our staff, particularly if we accept that the people around our clients impact on our clients. And so if we want our, the well-being of our clients to be decent and to be of a particular standard and to be good enough, we have to really think about those around them. And that falls on how we think about our support workers, how we think about our MDTs, our case managers, and supervision is one way to check in on that. So today I have Dr. Alice Nichols, who is our clinical director at PsychWorks Associates, talking to us about supervision from the psychology perspective. And um, I hopefully will be able to share with her some of the uh, case management um, challenges that we might have as well. So welcome, Dr. Alice Nichols. Without further ado, we have here today Dr. Alice Nichols talking to us about um, her experiences of supervision and being a supervisee as well as being a supervisor, um, and particularly relating that to the personal injury context. So welcome back, Dr. Alice. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, I know you're a regular, have been a regular on our uh, podcasts before. So if it's all right, if we can just skip straight to the topic, because mm. kind of we know a bit about you already. And if you don't know about Alice, please go back to some of our previous episodes to catch up on Alice, who is a clinical, clinical psychologist um, and does um, a lot of personal injury work um, through us at PsychWorks Associates and is our clinical director. But so what does supervision mean for you, Alice? I guess as a clinical a psychologist, but I suppose within that personal injury context as well, what, what does it kind of mean to you? What does it look like as well, maybe? So, I mean, as a psychologist, I'm obviously really familiar with supervising and being supervised, but I'm aware in the case management world, it's something where, you know, you're potentially supervising other case managers and also support workers, even if that's mm. not been necessarily formally agreed. Um, which is why we wanted to talk a bit about it today, really, is, is because supervision is something um, that I've found immensely helpful in, in my clinical practice. I mean, as a psychologist, a lot of our learning happens through supervision. And um, yeah, I think it's a really valuable tool. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, actually, that you made that the difference, I suppose, between being a case manager or uh, a support worker 
or indeed um, maybe even our legal colleagues would be in this boat as well. And being a clinical psychologist um, is that it's it's so integral to kind of the role that we perform. It, it's you can't you're not allowed almost to be a clinical psychologist without having supervision as part of the process that you have to follow. As much as you take clinical notes, as much as you are you know, doing your liaison, et cetera, supervision is a massive part of what we do. And actually that's not necessarily so strictly enforced or um, so strictly undertaken in case management, nor for our support workers, um, although I'll mention why that is because, you know, later on, I'm, you know, I'm sure, but, um, and I'm not sure what it is like for our legal professional colleagues either, but it, it is quite different for us, isn't it, in clinical psychology? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, actually, I suggested to some support workers a little while ago that I should provide them with some supervision. And they thought I meant I should come and watch them um, <laughs> because it was just a completely alien term to them. So, so yeah, I, I guess for clarity, I, I really am talking about, you know, sitting down one to one with someone and talking about their work with them. It can also be done in groups. So something... And actually, I quite like to think about it as formative, restorative or normative, which um, mm. is a bit of a mouthful. But yeah, basically, it can have three different functions. It could be formative, which is to teach people stuff that they don't know already, hopefully. Um, it could be restorative, which is to kind of support them with the emotional impact of the work. And it can be normative, which is to really have oversight and check they're doing what they're meant to be doing and they know what they need to be next they need to know all of that can be done one-to-one or in a group but we kind of recommend that normative doesn't work very well in a group so I would Mm. do support and teaching in a group but I wouldn't do that kind of oversight aspect Mm. in a group I'd keep that for one-to-one because I think people don't like to talk about things that they can't do in front of other people yeah trust a psychologist to have a model um Uh, we have many models actually in clinical psychology, don't we? But this is yeah. this is a really interesting one. I think this has real applicability actually to case management because, of course, as case managers, we are supervisees as well as supervisors, and so it's important to be able to, I suppose, think about what we find helpful as a supervisee and what we can therefore impart onto our supervisee, our own supervisees, um, and having those three ideas. And actually, you know, knowing when best to use them um, is is actually quite helpful because I'm certainly when I since I've been a case manager, which is all over ten years ago now, um, I've you know I've never been taught how to do supervision, and it can almost always be actually formative and normative. I would say there hasn't really been certainly earlier on. Now I'm, you know, you you know, kind of when you sort of do your own thing you can kind of pick your super the supervisors that you want but the restorative element has often been devoid actually mm-hmm. uh, which is a supporting element which I would also throw into that probably this self-reflective aspects mm. I think that's um, really important and I think people can get a bit confused about whether it's okay to use supervision for that kind of emotional support around their work I um, whenever I have supervision you know there's always like the oh is this is this you know where are we going to draw the line between this being a supervision and therapy and we do draw a line because actually it's about the impact of the work on you and actually your impact on the work you know the, 
you know, whether your emotional stuff from elsewhere is, is impacting on your work. So as, as long as it's in relation to the work, um, it's relevant for supervision. I think if it's about something that's more longstanding and personal, then, then maybe that needs to go to therapy um, separately. I think sometimes people are so worried that it's therapy and not supervision that they don't bring anything of their emotional lives. And I don't think that's very helpful. No, that's true. Because, I mean, as we know, the therapeutic clients, which is the, the whole sort of uh, premise to this entire podcast, that the relationship is dynamic and that you bring as much as you are hearing and taking on board. And so you've got to understand your position and your relationship to what is being said and uh, you know what's being said, who's saying it, where it's being said, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on how you then respond. Um, so to not have yourself in the frame of superficial, I think, is it's not ideal no. <laughs> at all. No, it could be pretty dangerous, actually, couldn't it? Uh, well, uh, yes, I wasn't going to say that, but yes, you're no, right. Uh, you know, no, you're right. You know, you're you're absolutely right to say it. I think it, it presents a risk. Yeah, yeah. Um, we need to always be aware of what we're bringing and how it's impacted on our work. Yeah, and it's it's really great to be able to talk about this now because I think maybe even a couple of years ago, the concept of um, burnout and impact on oneself when it comes to working with injury trauma these kind of things I don't think was so easy to talk about I think mm. since pandemic and and certainly this idea of self-care and all of these ideas um that we're talking about a little bit more liberally now mm. I think it makes that sort of theme come up wherever it needs to come up and I do think it has a role in supervision as you've yeah. already pointed out so um if, you know, as I said in the introduction, kind of our pe- people are the most important or most valuable resource that um, that we can have. And I, I honestly think in the personal injury world, when it comes to, say, our supervisees, um, in the case of a case manager and their support worker, you know, I do, I do think it's absolutely vital that that is done as well as it can be, because we know that the single largest component of any claim of a serious and catastrophic injury claim is care and we know that staff retention is a problem and staff recruitment is a massive problem at the moment but staff retention is huge you know job satisfaction is what people want they're expecting to have and you know expectations need to be managed this is just a normal human expectation requirement and actually how do we do all of that while also kind of maintaining the uh, rehabilitation outcomes and, and kind of thinking about the litigation needs if we, you know, if we don't have good supervision? That's, that's always my kind of, uh, my point that I think it's, it's actually talking about risk and, and danger. I think it, it, it has, a, there is a big risk to having not great supervision in personal injury work. Because it, it does increase the impact it, uh, of the work load and the work type on our support worker and the care component. So if, if care is one of the biggest aspects of litigation and the role that a, a case manager needs to think about, what, I guess, what makes good supervision then? What, do we, what can we envisage or what can we you know, ha- have as the experience, do you think? Mm. That's such an interesting question. I've had I've had a real range of supervisors over the years, and mm. some of them I wouldn't necessarily describe as good, but I've still learned something from them. So I think 
I think there's possibly something good to be taken from all of them. I'd, I'd have one supervisor who I would just, she just, she just wouldn't say anything. And I'd just sit there and I'd talk and talk and talk. And she'd just let me. <laughs> and I would lose the vision and I'd be like, oh my word, what did I just say? <laughs> Why did I stop talking? <laughs> you know what? That's hilarious. She really taught me to rein it in a bit and to actually go in there with an idea about what I wanted to say and what I wanted help with. And I learned that she wasn't just going to like, you know, tell me what to do or where to go. She was she was waiting for me to kind of pull myself together <laughs> and decide what it was that I, I needed to talk about and what the advice was that I wanted. Ah, and so the responsibility was yours to yeah. shape that session rather than the supervisor's exactly and actually when I then started asking her for specific advice she'd give me advice I just think was completely balmy (laughs) (laughs) it made me realize again actually I kind of knew what I wanted to do what I needed to do and so actually what I would then go in with is saying this is the problem this is what I think I'm going to do about it is that okay and do you know what she would say she'd say yes that sounds reasonable (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was really useful because actually it meant that I would I kind of internalized this model of, of I would like think of the problem I'd find the solution and I'd think oh what would my supervisor say and I'd be like she'd say yeah that sounds reasonable that, that just sounds like the ultimate formative approach to supervising maybe but yeah. sort of um there's something about self-sufficiency in that which there are, is. And I think I probably did need to learn some at that point in my career. I think I was probably mm. a bit used to people saying, do this. And yeah. I was a bit, like, a bit used to just going and doing it. And I think, you know, this was my first post, post-qualifying. Mm. Um, so I think um, I did probably need that. Actually, you know what to do. Why don't you just go and do it approach? Yeah. Whereas actually, since I've been in private practice, I've had uh, much more of a choice of supervisors and yeah. And what I've found quite useful is that they have taught me again. So I've kind of gone back to finding people who actually will sometimes tell me some new information. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm actually learning some new things again, which actually is, is also quite nice after a certain stage in your career, isn't it? Is to find that there's still some new stuff that you can add to your toolbox. Yeah. Actually, when I have supervised, because I have supervision with you, don't I, Shabnam? Mm. Um, something that I find quite useful about you is you do kind of challenge me a little bit by saying, how is this impacting on you? Are you? You know, is this something, you know, that you, um, you know, you kind of challenge me to think about how I'm going to manage the next step where I wouldn't, I've, or, or, I might not have already thought that far ahead. Phew, <laughs> um, I'm glad, um, I'm glad yeah. there's some, some value. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but that's really helpful to hear actually as a supervisor that that isn't seen as threatening because that's, right. that's sometimes, I mean, and I'm prone to doing this myself that I kind of want to tell you the answer mm. as I see it and that mm. actually is really bloody unhelpful because it's, it's, it's sometimes it's, nice but actually you don't learn yeah. anything do you not really no. and there's something in maybe the stage at which you know our supervisees are at as to yeah. where we pitch that because a self-sufficient kind of model that you might or you know the approach that you might take there with not fly for a very new novice kind of support worker or case manager and they may so want sometimes you do need formative. yeah sometimes you do need to be told what to do don't you and actually when you first start a job or when you're doing something new for the first time it is really helpful for someone to say this is what I do this, this isn't this and then maybe when you're a bit more competent in what you're doing it's maybe people then saying well what would you do or what might you do 
so yeah it really depends on on what stage you're at and I, and I guess when you're at a, like a higher level people actually challenging you um, mm. why did you do this and why yeah. did you yeah. <laughs> had you thought of this yeah. well, you didn't actually no. <laughs> it's usually my response <laughs> no it's really and also within that within that there is that sort of stage of emotional response so sometimes you know like in my supervision I can feel very stuck and I just just to get me out of that hole I just need a little bit of direction um because to let me sit in that and wallow or or to feel continue to feel stuck actually just raises my anxieties more and I may end up you know kind of I'm just uh, in my head I've got this vision of a sort of sort of stuck trailer you know and you're kind of revving the engine and the wheels spinning and it's throwing mud everywhere and everyone's just getting muddy and you're just getting more and more stuck actually maybe here stop the madness just for a Mm. second and here's a plank of wood. Maybe we can put that under the wheel and now try revving your engine. You know, you've got, you know, the energy and the, and the, and the ideas that you have just need mm. a little bit of a tweak and then yeah. you can kind of run, but, and then you can kind of reflect on what made it so stuck. What was it about that situation? Yeah. But, so you can loop back, can't you? And be kind of retrospective about supervision um mm. after, you know, and, and it's a real, it can be a real mixed bag of, of those three things that you've talked about. So, yeah. so yes, balance of sort of direction and kind of being taught, but also kind of just knowing that the right thing isn't what you're doing, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe you just need to be pulled up on that. Yeah, that's quite a high risk strategy. Um, no, it's really, that's really interesting. And there's something also about, um, um, like you, when you were saying kind of going in with your ideas about what you want to achieve from supervision, there's something about intention in that. Mm. Um, and there's something about kind of um, within that, I suppose, boundaries that that feel like there's uh, that there's sort of a, a link to. And the intention is, I suppose, kind of going in and being able to say, this is kind of what I want to achieve. This is what I want to hear right now. This is what I'm ready to hear. And as a supervisee, I suppose having that intention is important. Okay, so so we've talked about what supervision is and we've talked about its importance and what kind of good supervision could look like. Certainly in, as a case manager, I kind of think that it, it uh, and with the psychology hat on that I do also have, it kind of makes me think about, you know, how you would set up supervision and, uh, you know, the kind of different factors that you might need to think about. A big one for for case management, I think, um, and the personal injury world is how supervision is perceived by everyone. And you've already touched on this, Alice, um, mm. in terms of uh, you were saying, you know, people thought it, it was a sort of observationary thing, people going to be watched. I find that how supervision is perceived and related to by the families, the, the client and their families can be really tricky sometimes. Um, and I find that setting up supervision is a process in itself. So helping the context, ha- helping people understand, um, not so much with our legal folk, and, and certainly our HR people would agree with this um, being an important part of you know, supervision being an important part of the experience. But the families often think it's a, a space for us to almost gossip, perhaps, mm-hmm. about uh them maybe and the things that they do how they live as a family after all care often happens in our clients homes I think sometimes maybe our families might think that it's a place to kind of join forces 
to then overturn the family's opinion or way of doing things. And I think it's it's really important to set up supervision well, therefore. And I'm just curious as you know what how psychologists would do it and whether there's any borrowings that case managers can have for how they do supervision. Yeah. I mean, the way we do it in psychology is, is we always kind of, we have a contract. So we, we set up a bit of a contract about how often supervision will be, the sorts of things that will be talked about, um, including risk, obviously. And um, I wonder actually if in case management, it would be helpful to kind of communicate that to the family. So to say, this is what supervision is, and it's part of maintaining your staff's well-being, but also improving their practice. It's actually really an essential part of their professional development. So yeah, we yeah. tend to like have it like monthly, but it depends on the situation, doesn't it? So, you know, it can be more frequent if people um, are struggling or if they need to learn some skills fast, mm. or it might be less frequent, um, or you might do a mixture of less frequent individual ones and more regular group ones. But I think it's nice to set up an expectation about how often it will be and what people can expect. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think one of the, the things that I say to families um, is that it's really hard to retain our team often. And supervision just help is, is considered in the literature, but also through experience to minimise some of those challenges that support workers have through things like burnout, through things like feeling the challenge of working in a family home. That's not because of the specific family that um, that I'm talking to, but I, just any fact, working in a family home, coming from maybe a more institutional professional care background, it does throw up, you know, sort of where the boundaries are, where you know what's comfortable and what what makes sense and what doesn't make sense, um, and that all contributes to whether someone feels comfortable in the role or not. And you know, in litigation, we know that we are trying to hold on to our staff because it's a real it's really hard to find the kind of people who are going to fit the personal injury sort of working in a client's home context really and I I, I think it doesn't do litigation any favors at all to have massive staff turnout over um, ruptures within the care teams you know, people burning out. I mean, there's a HR implication to all of this as well, of course. But yeah, I think um, that's that's often a big selling point. Not selling point, but that's often something I talk about to our in terms of setting up supervision to our families. Um, not everyone buys it, but it's something that I think is really important for them to know. Mm. I mean, there's a, the whole CQC question as well as case managers that you know actually we kind of have to do it if we are cqc registered it's all part of the good practice but it's a real safeguard issue isn't it it's um i know all of the sort of serious case reviews you know not to put a downer on the episode but all of the serious case reviews of um services where there's been um you know child death or you know things have gone horribly wrong and statutory services they always come back to supervision not being good enough or they're not being that kind of regular kind of checking in with people yeah, being yeah. a massive source of um, of things just slipping through the net and not getting escalated. So it it yeah. does really help to have that regular check in. It's important for safeguarding as well as for mm. support. I mean, there's there is evidence that it increases 
staff retention and well-being as well, um, which is really important. Absolutely. And in terms of um, you were talking about kind of setting up and contracting, that sounds like a really big word. And I can imagine our personal injury colleagues thinking, what the heck? (laughs) You know, that's just I mean, just to demystify that a little bit, that is just basically sort of ground rules almost. Yeah. Uh, type document it's it's just something that's created co-created between supervisor and supervisee based on the relationship that is going to be most sustainable um mm. based on the client needs and as the supervisee is experiencing and also i guess what the supervisor is actually able to offer realistically would you take into consideration location on that because i know different supervisors have different views on that and um i think you know where you do supervision some people take will uh, will be very clear about where they mm. do supervision where they won't do supervision equally and i think it's a lot looser in probably case management and care supervisors supervising than it is in psychology yeah i mean in an absolutely ideal world you'd probably have it in person face to face and um in the same room each time just so you're kind of setting up a lot of associations and and boundaries really around that time and space and um, what gets talked about, you know, in that room. The reality is that that's not practical for a lot of people, is it? Mm, um, especially mm. post-COVID. Yeah, but I do think it helps to make sure that this, it's really clear that supervision has started and that it is finished and that, you know, within supervision, you're talking about the things that you've contracted you'll talk about and not, not other things. It's very easy sort of you know once you start chatting inside a supervision session you kind of set a tone for future sessions and it's kind of hard to then pull it back so boundarying supervision you know in in like a a sense of what is talked about but actually making it physically boundaried in some way is a really helpful way of making that very clear Mm, yeah yeah i was listening to um, another podcast actually from a, a, a family therapist and he he also does quite a lot of research and he was saying that in certain settings he will only talk about research supervision because he's got mm. supervisees who he supervises for research and for clinical work and he will talk about research in one uh, one of his offices and his clinical work in another of the offices and he doesn't mix the two ever and mm. and it just it's such a you know after very after sort of setting that boundary out right at the beginning it's then just people just learn and yeah. it's just a conversation that you don't ever have to have, have again really it's not mm. that he will never say I don't want you know Shh, you know sorry, I'll talk about this right now it's mm. more like well you know I'm really happy to talk about that but here is my suit you know here's my timetable and we'll talk about it in that other space yeah. it's just to keep things clearer and mm. I'm sure it probably ha- helps massively with his record keeping because otherwise it does get really messy yeah. um, and complicated. And, and given what you've said about risk already, you know, record keeping mm. has to be on it. Should, you know, heavens forbid, any, you know, any issues arise about practice and those safeguarding issues that might come out. So, yeah, I was really interested in, um, in how that is a real thing that people do. Um, and I'm just, it just makes me think, gosh, like as a psychologist, I find having supervision with case with, with our, in case, when I'm a case manager with our support workers in coffee shops and things, places like that might sort of suit one aspect of the supervision in terms of that sort of feeling restorative and, you know, maybe 
um, thinking about being quite sort of human and, you know, taking away that sort of power dynamic a little bit. But at the same time, I'm thinking, gosh, if I want to think about something that's a bit more formative or normative, I'm not sure if that's the right space. It's often very busy. People are quite close proximity. How open can one really be? And it just made me think, you know, about how other case managers have often said to me, oh, you know, we meet in a a shared space, if you like, um, a shared physical space. And whether that does, you know, whether whether that's going to make a difference to um, the quality of the supervision or the things that you're almost implicitly saying what can and can't be talked about because of the nature of the, the place that you're at or you're in mm. do you know what I mean yeah and of course there's there's the the practical issues of actually if, if that's if it's there or nowhere then actually that's that's mm-hmm. best, better than nothing um yeah. although we are all loving well loving is a strong word zoom right now you know and I think that does make it more accessible you know it's, yeah. it's easier to to meet with people than it it used to be because we can just jump on zoom I suppose maybe then that kind of lends itself to going back to that model that you talked about, the restorative, formative, normative, though not necessarily in that order. It kind of maybe it's a case of, you know, not doing all three of them in any one session because of the, you know, because how you do it and where you're doing it, et cetera, will impact presumably on on the, you know, those three components and what is more going to be heard better and what is more appropriate. You might, you know, some things are better done face to face than on Zoom, some are and it's okay to talk about certain things in a coffee shop if that's the only space that you can find yeah um but actually it needs to be mixed up a little bit if it it restricts what you can talk about but then that comes back to the the sort of self-reflective aspect of being a a supervisor and 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 I suppose kind of you know what is it that I'm trying to achieve with this supervision um and what is it that I'm trying to kind of where I'm trying to go with it and that intention idea do you think there's an ideal length for supervision oh gosh I think I think it really depends on the situation I mean Mm. I tend to do an hour I tend to receive an hour and um don't know where that's come from other than just habit yeah Yeah, we do sometimes in psych work say if you've just got one client and you know things are kind of ticking along then actually half an hour is fine and sometimes it is, but you you almost have to set that expectation at the beginning because we're so accustomed to it being an hour that we can mm. quite easily fill an hour. So yeah, I would I would say oh, you know it depends on the client, but I think an hour if you're doing like one case in detail, and you are also doing some teaching or some support in that time, thinking about the impact of the work, that probably is an hour's job anyway, isn't it? It's um, yeah, yeah. But I'm also thinking about coming back to what you were saying earlier about kind of stage. And if someone's very new, not mm-hmm. just to the job that they're doing, but also someone is very new to the idea of this type of supervision, an hour might feel really daunting. Gosh, yeah. what am I going to talk about for a whole bloody hour? Yeah. Just started. Or, um, you know, to have someone either, you know, talk to me about things I've got to do. That's a lot to take on board, isn't it? Uh, or if I'm expected to talk about yeah. the impact of the work. You know, I can do that for a couple of minutes, you know, and I think there is something in in sort of, you know, that being part of the contract. Maybe, I don't know, thinking thinking from a more behavioral approach, yeah. starting off small and building up. Yeah. Or, you know, kind of setting it out ahead of time. So it doesn't, so the emotional 
relationship to having supervision isn't in the way of the supervision itself and doing the supervision if that makes sense yeah and yeah probably I mean probably better to have a 15 minute phone call check-in session yes then well definitely better to have that than to not have nothing yeah or to have an hour that feels just completely like it's too much so yeah so using recording to manage risk is actually a point in itself really isn't it Mm. Yeah, do you know what? At Psychworks Associates, I have like a template for um, my supervision notes. Indeed. And I find it very helpful because it means that during supervision, and the supervisees know I'm doing it. And actually, we often will look at it together as we're going through. But so, yeah, we'll think about so, so what is the course of action? What are our goals? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? And what are the risks? And so, we kind of are recording all of this as we go through. Um, and you know it's something that we we both hold and keep and it's very useful for me because I've got a number of supervisees and I don't always remember all the things we've talked about so if someone says oh you're supervising this client I'm like oh okay am I (laughs) I can go back (laughs) to my notes and I can be like okay yeah this is what's happening and this is what we're doing you know these are the key issues so that's massively helpful from an organizational perspective but it also means that I'm able to like keep a check on what the associate said was going on for that client what the key risk issues are so actually the next vision yeah. session like I say what's happening with this risk has this been managed mm. you know has this been is you know is, are we on course for this or mm. if they've if it's fallen off their right radar why is it falling off the radar you know normally there's there's a, a totally valid reason but you need that safeguard in place yeah no uh, yeah absolutely it, it kind of do you know what it might reminds me of it reminds me of you know when you're in your maths lessons at school yeah. And you get told, you know, don't just write down the answer, write down your working out oh, as well. Yeah. Oh, it's it's like a showing bit... your workings. Yeah. yeah. And and actually you still get points, you know, thinking yeah. of it from a like, you know, a scoring perspective. Like you still wow. get points for showing the working, because if you missed out a component, it's clear to see at what point that was missed out and why that's yeah. perhaps led to the answer being what the answer is, which isn't quite right. why that person's maybe prioritized something or taken a course of action and and and, you know again not to put a downer on the discussion but that's what the coroner's court would want to see if something went horribly wrong yeah Um, Yeah. that's what they're going to be interested in is why did you do that when actually this was what was needed Um, and actually if it's all documented and it makes sense then you know Mm. you've, you've done everything that you can do yeah I mean, it's all it's all that we're saying really is that actually being a supervisor is kind of an important role that doesn't, you know, that needs to be taken quite seriously. Mm. Not that I'm saying people aren't taking it seriously, but I think coming from a psychology background and seeing how supervision can sometimes be done um, in other professions makes me think, gosh, actually, this is a whole you know, sort of teaching that needs to happen. It's not just something you do incidentally. There mm. is, you know, huge implications to doing it right and Mm. also massive pitfalls to doing it wrong and it's just it's worth putting that that thought into it into thinking about what is it that um, needs to be done so with that in mind what three things do you think we could say to our audience um, for them to do in say their supervision tomorrow that would you know, help their, you know, their their sort of quality, if you like, almost of, of their supervision or, or something that that is, is something for them to do? I think contracting is a really good one because I think it's, so, so I guess talking with the supervisees about, 
you know how often you'll give them supervision and what it is that you're you're going to do in those supervision sessions um mm. you know when it will be and who will record it and what will be recorded all, all of those sorts of things I think mm. I think that does two things one it kind of helps people feel like they um know what to expect and when to expect it um but it also puts a real boundary around it and, and means that that supervision is protected time where you both have the same intention yeah do you think just on that point, if people have already started supervision mm. with someone and have done it for days, weeks, months, years, whatever, could you go back and contract, do you think? How yeah, do- totally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I would, I would. I'd, I'd be like, oh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we've, we've been doing this for so long and this is what we've been doing in these sessions, but I wonder mm. if we could formalise it a little bit more and think yeah. about what's helpful and what's not and what should we be doing, you know, in terms of our agreement with the clients. Yeah. as well so I, I think it's never too late to formalize something mm. um or to, or to like maybe redefine some boundaries around something and I guess in a way you you even if you do have a contract with or without a contract you know if you have when, when, at whatever point you introduce a contract it is an evol- evolving document yeah. or it's an evolving sort of exactly. boundary around where it you are it's how... really formal but it does, yeah, it, you does. Know, it, it, it's not really you know no it's a yeah. loose document but it, it's tight enough to keep us sort of I suppose in accountable to one another in that yeah. supervisor supervisory relationship cool okay contracting tick and I think I would say my other um important tip would be to for it to be okay to talk about feelings yeah. so in relation to the work I think that's the key point is it needs to be in relation to the work even if it's do you know what I'm not really feeling motivated with this case at the moment because I've got X, Y, Z going on in my personal life. I think that's important to be talking about in supervision. Or if it's actually, I'm finding this client really irritating at the moment and I don't know why. I think those are things that um, I would really like to be, be knowing about in supervision. And, you know, mm. talk, talking about, you know, sensitively and also taking action if need be. You know, I, I have had times where supervisors have said, actually, is it okay for you to be working with this client right now? And I think mm. sometimes as a supervisor, that's a question you do need to ask. But you know, unless you're having conversations about feelings, you don't, you don't get there. You won't. You no. Then that's exactly where burnout and staff well-being and retention kind of stem from. It's the inability to express that. Also, to be self-reflective about it. Actually, you know what? I'm, I am working too many long hours or whatever, and maybe that's the issue yeah to help help um bring that back to some kind of safe place for you but I mean space also within that as well it doesn't have to always be negative feelings does it you can celebrate (laughs) it's okay to talk about the emotions and I really enjoyed that piece of work or I'd really like working with that kind of client yeah um and and I think you know supervision doesn't have to always be around you know kind of gaps or challenges or problem areas it can be like well done where things have gone well yeah Mm. okay so feelings done thank you my third point I kind of feel like I've got third and a fourth Um, oh go on then I think I want to say record keeping that we've talked about I think you know actually agree agree on some records that you're going to keep I think is a really important point and then keep them even if they're quite brief they just need to be explaining what what's going on and why it's going on and any risk issues but I think finally that my 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 fourth point is it's got to be the therapeutic alliance and you know and how mm-hmm. important actually it is to use your therapeutic alliance skills 
Um, so, you know, your ability to listen and to be present with people and to come alongside them with your supervisees. That's a really important. I mean, it's a it is still a relation. It may not be with our clients directly or, you know, without the MDT in, in that sort of. Well, care, carers, support workers, of course, are part of the MDT, although, you know, having spoken to some support workers they're not always considered or perceived themselves to be part of the MDT more of an mm-hmm. add-on but it, in order to maintain a relationship in order for that to be supportive and helpful ultimately to the client and to their family yeah therapeutic clients is uh super important yeah it really is yeah thank you for raising that that point that was totally worth it that last bit <laughs> as well because it's you know it's, it's exactly what we talk about in so many different um episodes that we've recorded and as i say it's it's the the underlying theme of everything that we do i think it's the foundation upon all of the different topics that we've sp- spoken about all the different themes that we've raised so that's really helpful thank you very much well thank you so much um dr alice nichols for that really helpful sort of breakdown of what supervision is why it's important, what it could look like, and some of the things that people can do right now um, in their in, in terms of how they approach supervision and um, how they can uh, think about ways to, to I, guess, I guess, make it more robust. At Psychworks Associates, we do offer some training on on sort of supervision, talking a bit further about some of these areas. Um, would be very help, happy to talk about the principles of supervision, talk a bit more about some of the models that are available and to think about a little bit more around that therapeutic alliance and benefits of doing supervision well. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and um, we will see you next time. Bye for now. Before you go... If you enjoyed the episode today, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate it on whatever platform you're listening on and share and like on your social media profiles. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow and to be a continuous resource for all. And if there's any topic you wish for us to cover, please drop us a line on our website. Thank you so much for all your support. 